Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast, episode number 28. In today's episode, I'll be discussing how to turn one simple idea into a licensing gold mine with author Stephen Key. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. Join Ron Bouchard as he casts a wide net sharing his philosophy of life, business, and success, and goes fishing for wisdom in interviews with other entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders. You'll hear their stories of triumph and tribulation. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur trying to succeed outside the confines of the current of social expectation, bring the bait and join us for Gone Fishing. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Bouchard. Have you ever looked at an item and thought to yourself, why didn't I think of that? Have you ever had an idea for a product only to find something similar on store shelves sometime later? Have you ever taken an item and used it in a completely different way, creating a more excellent utility? Some of the simplest things have had the most significant impact. Think, for instance, about duct tape. There is nothing like the ultra-adhesive, ultra-versatile, ultra-durable duct tape in a world full of adhesive bonds. During World War II, Johnson & Johnson invented it for use in the military to protect ammunition cases from the harsh frontline conditions. How about the nail? A simple pointed piece of metal with a head on it. Think about the utility of such a simple invention. They are part of every foundation in modern structures today. Then there's the paperclip, invented to attach claim tickets to fabric in the 1800s by Samuel Frey. The idea was so simple, and yet extremely versatile. Your idea doesn't have to be as significant as the ones mentioned. You can take a simple idea and turn it into a licensing gold mine without creating any prototypes, getting funded, drawing up plans, and without the risk. How would it feel to see a product you came up with covering the shelves at your favorite store or your favorite online website? Today's guest is an author, consultant, and inventor. He has licensed more than 20 successful products in diverse fields like the toy, athletic, music, and drug industries. His creations have sold more than half a billion units, generating billions of dollars of revenue. Over the years, he has taught thousands of students his invent-right strategies, has been invited to speak at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, at Stanford University, IDEO, and elsewhere. He was featured on the CNBC show, The Big Idea with Donnie Deutsch, and served as a consultant on the reality show, American Inventor. He's done freelance work for Worlds of Wonders, Disney, Applause, Dakin and others. His products range from the simple to the silly. And celebrities like Michael Jordan and Alex Trebek have served as pitchmen for two of his creations. He's a regular contributor to publications like Inc. Magazine, Forbes Magazine, and Entrepreneur Magazine. Joining us is the founder of InventRight and author of the best-selling book, One Simple Idea, Turn Your Dreams into a Licensing Gold Mine While Letting Others Do the Work, Stephen Key. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Ronald. How are you? 
I'm doing great. So, okay. Stephen, you've had quite a list of accomplishments. Can you tell my audience how you got started and how you chose the path that you're currently on? Well, thank you for asking that question. Uh, I'm a creative person, Ronald, and I wasn't quite sure at an early age, in my early 20s, what I wanted to do for a career. And by accident, I was I was actually studying economics business, and I didn't really particularly like that topic. So I took an art class by mistake and learned that I really wanted to work with my hands. I wanted to make things. So I started down that path of just creating things that I made, and I would take them out to street fairs, county fairs, state fairs, and sell those things that I made. And I loved it. And at that point, I wanted to create more ideas that people would purchase, and I wanted to learn how I could actually start selling um, some of the things I created in stores. And that's how it kind of all started, um, really by accident. I I knew I didn't want to be an artist, and I knew I didn't really want to you know, – I didn't want anything to do with business. So I, I kind of combined two, both of them together and found hmm. a way to express my creativity. And you sell at flea markets? Well, I used to sell anywhere I, I could set up a table. Um, I would make things out of fabric. And for about five years, my early 20s, I would just go anywhere. I could set up a table and people would walk by. And I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about testing ideas very quickly. And then that eventually led to me working at a toy company called Worlds of Wonder in the late 80s. I, I helped... Um, I was part of the team that helped launch Teddy Ruxpin, the first talking teddy bear and laser tag. But eventually I, I learned about licensing where creative people like myself can come up with ideas and show those ideas to companies that need ideas outside their own walls. It's called open innovation. And if they like my ideas, they pay me a royalty on each and every one they sell. So they really do all the heavy lifting for people like me that don't really want to start a business, but I want to be creative. So I found a way to come up with ideas and license those ideas to companies, and my products have sold just about all over the world. Now, isn't that expensive? Well, it isn't. When you license an idea to a company, they're doing basically all the work, Ronald. That's what I love about it so much. They they take it, they manufacture it, they market it, they sell it. And they, you know, they're already in business. They already have the shelf space and they already have the manufacturing. They have everything already in place. But the thing they don't have um, is maybe some of those good ideas that us creative people can supply them with. So they they spend all their money and there's no risk to the entrepreneur. Hmm. Sounds like a win-win. Well, it is. Open innovation, um, a lot of people are not familiar with it. It's not, it hasn't um, traditionally, you know, what's being taught is that if I have an idea, I have to start a business, write a business plan, raise money, do all, all the work. But there is another alternative, and it's called licensing, where you're basically going to rent an idea to a company and let them do all the heavy lifting for you while you collect those royalties. So it's it's a great business model for anyone in the world. It doesn't um, doesn't require you to have a 
you know, financially to be involved. You don't have to quit your day job. And you can do this anytime you want. And more and more companies are looking for ideas outside their own walls. Companies realize in order to be competitive, they have to keep innovating. And if they don't innovate, they soon will die. So it's a great thing for us creative people. You know, I often tell people that opportunity exists all around us. We're just not trained to see it. So it sounds like this is exactly what what you're describing. Well, I am, and I'm glad that I'm getting I'm, I'm able to share this information. I've been writing about this information for probably over ten years. I write for Forbes and Inc. and Entrepreneur on licensing um, and sharing that information to just about anybody that's that has um, has that creative uh, streak, and and they want to. I don't want people to – there's all these bar- – first of all, there's all these barriers that we think that's that's in front of us. Well, I have to have a patent or I have to start a company or or I have to build a prototype or I have to spend all this money. And what I'm trying to explain to everybody, no, you don't have to do any of those things. You have to understand what licensing is. And once you understand that, you realize – it doesn't really take those things. It doesn't, you know, most ideas that get licensed today, there are no patents. And most of the ideas I see that do get licensed today, sometimes there's not even a prototype. So it allows any of us to get involved. So like most entrepreneurs, I sometimes feel like I'm misunderstood because I've decided to follow a different path than the average person did. Now, uh, where did you learn to permit yourself to follow your dreams despite those who I'm sure criticized you on your way up? <laughs> well, my father gave me permission to pursue this this dream. Hmm. I was studying economics, I had mentioned earlier, and I took an art class. And I went back and I told my dad, I said, look, I want to change my majors. I want to be my, my major. I want to be an artist. And he said, well, Steve, you know, do you draw? And I said, no. And he says, well, you must like to paint. And I said, no. And he said, well, the only advice I can give you, if you find something you truly love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. So he's the first one that gave me permission to jump off the cliff. And I have to, I have to tell everyone this. It wasn't easy at first because there wasn't a roadmap for me. And there wasn't anybody that could mentor me. So I just started making things. And of course... My family and friends all thought I was probably the biggest loser on the planet because it wasn't a traditional job. You know, my friends were getting married and they had good jobs and buying houses and raising a family. And here I am, you know, selling things on street corners. So, yeah, uh, for many, many years, everybody thought I was out of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Did did you eventually find people who were like-minded that you could be around? I was very fortunate that someone handed me a business card. I was in Sausalito, California, doing an art and wine festival. And someone gave me a business card and said, look, this is a gentleman you need to call. He's going to love the stuff that you're making. He can help you spread your creativity uh, around the United States. And and I called this guy up, and he didn't know me from a hole in the wall, but he was one of those amazing people that you come across. And he said, Steve, 
come on down, let me meet you. And he changed my life. I was in my early 20s. I took my father with me too, by the way, and my dad didn't know what to make of this situation. But he said, look, Steve, you're not crazy. You're very creative. Let me show you how you can sell products in stores. And he's the one that took me from selling things at the street corner and then selling stores around the United States. So he was my mentor. He's still a friend today. Years later, he's 82 years old, going on 18. And he is the most amazing individual to to keep um, people like me inspired. So, yes, he was very helpful. You know, it's been my experience that most successful people are willing to share their information with with someone. Um, Has that been your experience as well? Well, not everybody wants to share, but if you find those individuals that have been successful and maybe have lost it and became successful again, I think they're more willing to share. They realize Hmm. that what goes up comes down, and they also realize that you – you need to treat everybody fairly. And that's what my mentor, Steve Askin, taught me. He said, Steve, treat everybody with respect, regardless of where they are, because things, um, you know, things go up and down. So I believe the guys that have been in this game long enough are willing to help the next person. So they'll reach down and grab the next guy and, and help them. Yeah, I'm certainly an advocate for that. I teach people you got to leave it a logbook behind. For the next person um, who wants to follow the journey. I'm a big believer in that, Ronald, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm a believer in in helping the next person. I needed help, and I think we all need help. And you just need to find the right people that can guide you a little bit and support you and find your community that that of like-minded individuals, I think it's really important for all of us because you're not going to get to the top of any mountain without a lot of people supporting you. Yeah, that's why I believe I'm a firm believer in masterminds, much like Napoleon Hill talks about having a a mastermind. Um, that's why my company is called Waypoint Mastermind. Okay. Is getting people together to help each other is is what we were designed to do. Once I. Th- you know, I realized my best friend um, is extremely successful. And and I asked him one summer, we were vacationing, and I asked him, what's your magic? You know, what's the magic formula here? And he said, uh, he said, Steve, I just, I include everybody. I help everyone. And that act of giving, I think, is very powerful. And I think... You cannot give enough. And once you understand the power of that, once you start to help others, things come back to you tenfold. So I'm a big believer in, in that universal truth of, of just helping. Yeah, Zig Ziglar once said, if you help enough other people get what they want, you get what you want. You know, I think smart businesses now are embracing that more and more. You know, my company, InventRight, we give everything away for free. And people said to me, Steve, why would you do that? It sounds crazy. 
You write books, you do these videos, you give everything away for free. You have a coaching program, but why do you do that? And I said, um, my feeling is, like I said earlier, you cannot give enough away. But if people want more, I'm here. If you don't, that's fine too. But I do believe you have to help people for, for them to be successful. And if you truly are helping they might, you might have something else they might want and they might, but they're going to follow you. They're going to trust you. They're going to realize you're that source of information they just might need. So I don't think it's about selling anything today. I think it's about helping people be successful. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, you wrote a fantastic book called One Simple Idea, Turn Your Dreams into a Licensing Goldmine While Letting Others Do the Work. I'm wondering, in a nutshell, how do you take one simple idea and turn it into a gold mine. And can you give me an example of one yeah. idea that you came up with that you sure? Um, um, first of all, I I was asked to write a book from McGraw Hill. They had contacted me, and they knew that I had this content that was probably pretty important for other people. So I wrote this book. One simple idea has been translated in five different languages, and it just basically I give everything away. It explains that process of how anybody in the world can can bring their creativity to market through licensing. But the one story I do tell is called one of my products. I love basketball. And one day I had purchased this indoor Nerf basketball game. It had a square backboard and a little Nerf ball. and But it had the, this little logo of Michael Jordan on it because Ohio Art that was making this indoor Nerf basketball game had the license of Michael Jordan. Well, I'm a big fan. So I thought, this isn't right. Why don't we make Michael Jordan bigger? So I went down and bought a poster at Hallmark and cut Michael out. So, And I stuck the image of Michael Jordan, his, his profile, I put it on the backboard. So the backboard was not square, but it was in the shape of the profile of Michael Jordan. And I loved it. And I sent it to Ohio Art. And Ohio Art saw this simple idea, and they licensed that idea from me, and they sold it sold for over 10 years. I collected royalties on an idea that was, you know, there wasn't any intellectual property. I didn't file for patents. I just showed them how they could leverage that license they had of Michael Jordan. And it was such hmm. a simple idea that there was a commercial about it, um, Every Saturday morning, Michael came on and he would shoot a little ball that would go in the go in the net. And he'd look back at the camera and, and he would say, the best looking backboard I've ever seen. So that story just goes to show you, it was just a simple idea. And it collected, I collected royalties for years. So so all you did was contact the, the manufacturer and, and show them a better way of doing their own product. Yeah. I don't think you have to reinvent the wheel. I think a lot of inventors, they kind of do it the hard way. And I've done it that way, too. I'll see a problem or I'll read about a problem, and then I'll try to come up with a solution that you know for, for that problem that maybe I have. Well, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is really look at the market, which I do. I look at people's product lines. I look at companies' product lines, and then I realize, what could I do different? How could I make it a little bit better without reinventing the wheel? So that was a small improvement. They liked it because it leveraged that image of Michael Jordan. 
They, they took it out of a box. They were able to put in a clear clamshell so you could see it. It reduced the cost because it went from plastic to paper. It did all the things that allowed them to sell more product. And so what was really amazing about this, I'd called them up, Ohio Art, they're a toy company, called them up and said, hey, I'm a product developer. I'd like to submit an idea to you. And they said, fantastic, send it in. So I did. I sent it, and my prototype looked ugly, by the way. I called it Hoop Hoop Hooray. What a terrible name. And three days later, after I sent the letter to them, they sent the contract. Said, we love it, Steve. And um, the first year was about $100,000 in royalties. Oh, I guess that is a simple idea and quite a big payoff. Well, it shocked me, Ronald, that it was that easy. Now, I have to tell you the other side of the story here, too, because after that, I thought, well, this is going to be the easiest thing in the world to do. So I sent them probably 50 more ideas. They didn't take one of them. So it's really a numbers game. I tell everybody, you realize, you know, some of your ideas they're going to take and some they're not. You don't know. So don't spend a lot of money on any one idea. Show them a very simple sketch or maybe a, a, a drawing, that's what I did, or maybe even a, a, a Frankenstein prototype, which I did. But don't spend a lot of money on it and show it to companies because it, at the end of the day, like in life, it, it's a numbers game. You have to knock on a lot of doors, show them a lot of ideas. But it works. And you can never get something licensed if you don't submit it. Well, that's the other thing. A lot of people are so fearful of someone's going to steal my idea. Well, the best protection you could have is to reach out to the companies that you think your product would be a good fit and make sure it is a good fit and ask them, do you work with inventors? Are you inventor friendly? Do you embrace open innovation? If they say yes, and they have a history of working with us, then that's the safest thing you can possibly do. Because today, it's not about patents. It's not what people think it is. It's really about showing a company a good idea that they can they can provide their customers with. And you mentioned in the book that you wouldn't want to go over the, the big companies. You want to go to the medium, oh, mid companies. Is that right? Yeah. I Like everybody else, I chase the big companies too because they – well, number one, they have brand recognition. They have great distribution. So, of course, you're gonna, you want to submit to the biggest companies on the planet. Well, big companies, the market leaders don't license much. They're, they're really risk averse. They've got market share. They've got great shelf space. They're selling a lot of product. They don't want to take risk. But what I tell everybody, find those companies that are hungry. Find those mid-sized companies that want to be big companies. Those are the guys that license ideas day in and day out. And don't go too small because if the company's too small, their distribution will probably be very small and they probably don't have the, the resources to do a good job. So find those mid-sized companies. And those mid-sized companies are still big companies, but they're just not the market leaders. And you talk about uh, the dinosaur products, reinventing or re reinvigorating products that are older. Yes. I, I think I like to find sleeping dinosaurs, 
meaning products that have been around forever, but no one's ever done anything with them currently. And I'll give this one great example of a sleeping dinosaur that someone changed and sold actually a billion. Um, Joy Monsano, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. She is a very successful inventor. There's a movie that she, um, they did a movie of her life. It's called, I think it was called Joy. But she realized that coat hangers, um, if she had very expensive clothes, they would slide off coat hangers. So she came up with the coat hanger, which I think is like a sleeping dinosaur. I mean, coat hangers, come on, they've been around forever. Mm-hmm. She put felt on the top of the coat hanger so nice clothes would not slide off. Now, that's a really simple little f- change, but she sold a billion coat hangers. <laughs> That's that's crazy. I think it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. I'm reminded of the, the guy who was working um, in a pet store, and he was cleaning up, you know, the the dog pee. So he had an idea of taking a the newspaper and putting plastic on it, and he created pee-pee pads and made $100 million from it. <laughs> well... I, I, my philosophy is just make a small in, small change on an existing product. Because at the end of the day, if you can do that, um, you already know there's a market for it. And a small change is a very good chance it will be able to be manufactured. Where people get a little confused here is they come up with big ideas that require a, a lot of money, a lot of education, a lot of capital expenditure. It's just too big. I tell everybody, before you get in that game, try something a little simpler, right? And there's a lot of industries that work with us inventors. The toy industry does, the kitchen, the hardware, DRTV, as seen on TV, the pet industry is on fire, Um, gardening is hot. Uh, There's all these industries that are very, very popular. We see a lot of signed licensing agreements, even during covid uh, companies need new ideas, and we just have to show them good ideas. Plus, you get to leverage their experience. Well, that's what I like about it. I'm a no-risk entrepreneur. Now, I, I've, I have launched products myself and did the manufacturing, and I sold them in Walmart and 7-Eleven, and, but it, I, it didn't fit my personality. I didn't want to hire all these people and, and do all the financing. I had to float all the money. I wasn't wild about it. So the licensing business model for someone like me that really doesn't want to, you know, has a lot of ideas and wants to leverage the big companies, because today I think it's all about speed. You know, a lot of creative people, I mean, who has the time to start all these companies when you can license those ideas to companies that are already in business? So for for people like myself, it's a great business model because there's no risk and you're leveraging the power of other companies. Now, do you think it's safer to follow the path of social expectation and get a job or to live a life of your own design? Well, I, I can tell you I'm not sure. Um, for me personally, I couldn't work for anybody. I, I did not want to work for anybody. And um, and maybe because I watched my father work for a company for 30 years and then for some, one day he was just laid off. There was no loyalty there. 
And maybe that impacted me. But from early on, I said to myself, I'm not working for anybody. If I do work for somebody, I want to learn as much as I can. And then I want to jump back out. I want to design my own life. I want to be able to live the life um, that I create. And I don't want to work for Saturdays and Sundays. I want to work when I want to work. And I want to work as hard as I want to work. So for me, there was no other alternative. Now, for other people, they like that paycheck. And I can respect that. Um, that paycheck's very consistent. And I'm, I'm going to tell everybody, the royalties have gone up and down all over the place. I've some ideas made very little. Some of them made a lot of money. So I'm one of the fortunate ones. But I stayed with it long enough to figure it out. But I get to see a lot of ideas get licensed. And I see a lot of ideas. Um, some of them go someplace. Some are big ideas. Some are small. Some make a little bit of money. Some make a lot of money. So, But like anything else, there's some risk. But I think licensing allows anyone to participate where you don't have to make that decision right away. You can keep your day job. Go ahead. Keep it. Like it. There's some security. Do that. But also, you can still be creative. You can still submit to, to companies. You can do both. So I don't know if it's either or. Yeah, it's preference. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, especially during COVID, I think that people think that a job is a lot more secure than it is, though. Oh, of course. Well, it is. I mean... It 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 is. This isn't for everybody. This is for the crazy ones. <laughs> this is for the the people like myself that really want to see their creativity come to market. I think it's not about the paycheck. I think it's about I'm a creative person. I want to share it with people. It's about your passion. Yes. Yeah, and I think that everybody has their own passion. Unfortunately, a job you can't, you don't fit. In a job, you're not permitted to use your passions because you have to fit in a in a in a slot. Well, yes, and that's unfortunate. I also think there there's more and more jobs that maybe give you opportunity to grow as an individual too. I, I think that's there's a change, sure. Yeah, I think there is, and we try to do that within my company. I I'm the coach's coach. I coach all my coaches. I coach on their own projects. I really support them pursuing things that are important to them. And it can be related to inventing, or maybe it's not. But I do know when people pursue their passion and give them some time to, to do that and treat them fair, fairly and, and really care about their, you know, their well-being, that they're going to be more productive human beings. It's going to help everybody. Now, in your book, you mentioned that creative people's opportunity to profit from their ideas has never been more incredible. Uh, can you explain why that is? Well, it's growing. You know, this whole world of open innovation used to be just in a few industries. It was in the toy industry. They've been working with outside inventors for 80 years. Some of the other industries, too. But now... Companies have just realized, look, we maybe we don't have the smartest people working for us. So maybe we have 10 guys in the back room, and and I know they go home at 5 o'clock, and we give them paychecks. But what if, what if we opened the doors and we had 10,000 people submitting ideas to us? I mean, that's what's happening. So 
companies do realize things change pretty quick and you have to feed the monster of that appetite for new products. So what's happening more and more and more industries are opening those doors in every different industry now. So the opportunity is grown for us creative people. Open innovation, crowd to, to crowdsource ideas is outpacing everything now. It outpaces crowdfunding. It outpaces internal R&D. It outpaces all the different ways of finding ideas. Open innovation is the number one way people or companies are finding those new ideas. So it's exploding for all of us. Great. Um, what would you say to people who feel that they lack creativity and don't think that they have any good ideas? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm one of those. Um, my ideas were terrible when I first started out. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of laugh, you know, I, I, I kind of laugh at some of my ideas. They got better. And I think everyone's creative. I just don't think we've been taught to, in, to exercise that muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, in school, it was like, oh, you're an artist, you're not. Well, that, you know, that's not true. Um, I I play games to be creative. I'm very, the way I come up with new ideas, I just play these simple games that allow me to look at things a little differently, to challenge the material of something, or the shape, or asking, why does it have to be this way? So I play games for my creativity. And those games, when I play them, it's very mechanical. I can sit down and play these certain games and and some ideas are going to pop and some of them are going to be profitable and some are going to be just terrible. But I've learned to harness my creativity. I can call upon it anytime I need it. And most people should learn how to do that anyway because you're always going to be looking for different ways to overcome obstacles in your life, right? We all have obstacles every single day. So... If you can learn some of the skills to to learn how to be creative, you can overcome all those obstacles. So it's not just for inventors. It's for everyone. You can come up with creative solutions. Yeah. I, You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm not that creative. You know, I don't see problems. You know, a lot of inventors, they see problems, they come up with solutions. I don't do it that way. Um, I do it a little differently. I just look at it a company's product line and I study it very carefully and realizing those products probably sell and there's a very good chance by next year, they're going to come up with variations of those products. I just know they're going to have to come up with new ones every year. So I try to get out ahead of it. So I let the market tell me what it needs by studying their, the product line, looking at reviews, maybe asking people, Hey, what do you think? Reading articles, I do it a little differently. I do it the easy way, Ronald. I don't do it the hard way. I do it the easy way. I don't wait for inspiration to hit me. I don't do it that way. I look at a certain area and go, hey, I'm really fascinated about that. What's what's the next trend? What's going to happen new? And and let me see if I can get those ideas to companies. And, and then let's get the dialogue going. And sometimes once you reach out to those companies, they give you their wish list. This is what we're looking for. Go back and bring it to us. It's even better. Would you consider yourself an analytical? I don't know. I don't think so. I I like – 
I like the pro- I I like the whole process of from start to finish. I'm fascinated by that process. Um, I'm also fascinated by I'm curious of of how why people do things. I'm curious about why people purchase certain things. I'm curious by why companies do things. So I just try to open my mind to uh, just kind of looking at things a little bit and, and playing the game of innovation. I'm not the sharpest tool in anybody's shed here. Um, but I do know that I am an expert at a few things. I'm a consumer. And us being consumers, we know what we like and know what we don't like. And sometimes not being familiar with a certain category is very helpful to come up with something brand new. I came up with the product, um, different shaped guitar picks. Well, who? I'm not even a musician. I, I don't even play guitar. But but I can look at a guitar pick and, and say, well, why does it have to be this material? Why does it have to be this shape? So I mm-hmm. made some simple changes on guitar picks, and we sold tens of millions of them all around the world just by changing the shape. And one was for Taylor Swift, right? We did guitar picks for Taylor Swift. I was a Disney licensee, so we did a lot of different um, Disney themes on guitar picks using a lenticular lens that when you move the guitar pick, it would give you 13 frames of a movie. Now, why did I do that? Well, you know, someone in my office said, Steve, why does a guitar pick have to be made out of a certain material? Why don't we make it out of a lenticular lens? I was like, wow. And so we did, (laughs) and we sold tens of millions of them. So I guess it's just asking why. Why does something have to be this way? And like and I refining said, it. Yeah, kind of. And I liked it that, you know, when I first showed my first guitar pick, it was in shape of a skull. And I showed my my partner at the time, what do you think? And he played guitar. He says, well, this is this will never work because he was in that world of things have to be a certain way. And I didn't come from that world. I was like, well, why not? And And that particular shape guitar pick really launched a company because it was just new, different, but such a simple change. wasn't wasn't complicated. No. Wow. Um, What is the craziest thing you've ever come across that surprised you, and and how well it did? Oh, I get surprised all the time. (laughs) Um, I have to have to tell you this one product that. really dumbfounded me because sometimes you think you see an idea and you know, what's going to be popular or not, but no one has the crystal ball. Right. So um, one of my coaches sent me over the sell sheet of a product, which is a one page advertisement of this product idea. And I thought was, at first I thought, are they pulling my leg? Because um, it was kind of silly. And, and someone was barbecuing, drinking a beer, as you probably do when you're barbecuing in summer day. And he had the spatula that he was slipping the burgers. And for some reason, he took a bottle cap of the beer he was drinking and scratched his back with the bottle cap. And he thought, well, that God, that really kind of 
really satisfies that itch. And then he was holding the spatula in one hand and the bottle cap in the other. And he thought, well, why don't I glue bottle caps to the spatula? And <laughs> it'll be a back scratcher. Well, that's the silliest thing I've ever seen. So when I saw it, I thought, well, I don't know what to make of it. I don't even know what to say about it. And he got that. Uh, he licensed that and sold in every Walmart. Wow. I was a little surprised. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your mix and match cup, I was, I was seeing something um, with you and your mix and match cup and how you, because it was paper, you really didn't understand the manufacturing of the mix and match cup. So can you tell us a little bit about the mix and match cup? Yeah, I, um, I was designing for the fast food restaurants and a company had hired me to come up with the, they're called premiums giveaways, like in the happy meal. Mm -hmm. And I went into one of the fast food restaurants and I looked around and I noticed cups. I go, geez, if I could come up with something on cups, that would be probably pretty darn popular. So I just started playing with cups and I came up with this, a cup with an outer ring that when you spun it around, hold on, when you spun it around, it just did some really, crazy things, right? And I called it spin cups. And I didn't know how to make paper cups. So I started showing it to companies. And one person took me aside and said, Steve, have you ever seen how anybody makes a paper cup? I said, no. <laughs> he goes, well, you need to see that. And I did. And I realized there's no way they're going to make my spin cup out of paper because I didn't know the manufacturing. So I went down to the mall, went to the Disney store, and I noticed that they had these double wall containers with little sparkles that when, you, when a child would drink out of a cup, this little sparkles would happen in between the walls. So I called that company up. The company is called Trudeau, Jeanine Trudeau. I called them up from Canada, and I showed them my paper, terrible prototype out of paper. They loved it. Although it could not be made out of paper, it could be made out of plastic. So they took it. From that rough prototype, um, they made it out of hard plastic. It sold in all the Disney stores and theme parks around the world. And then that eventually led to another product called Spinformation. So you never know when some, where it leads, right? You, you try something, you hit a roadblock, you try to get around it. And the roadblock there was paper manufacturing, so it became plastic. Yeah. Hmm. So... If you could leave my listeners with three most important things, three most important lessons you've learned being an entrepreneur, what would they be? Don't give up too early, right? I, I think a lot of us give up a little early. We, we, we receive a couple no's, and then we get discouraged. So don't give up too early. I would say number two, find other people that are thinking like you. And it's easy to do that now. There's a lot of inventors clubs. There's meetups. There's all these different platforms where like-minded people get together and they talk. Find your community. Mm -hmm. right? Find people that are doing what you want to do and make relationships. And then number three, everybody thinks it's a money issue. If I just had enough money, it's not a money issue. It's a knowledge issue. So whatever you want to do in life, read as much as you can on it, educate yourself on it, and find that person that's done it and get as close as you can to that person and learn as much as you can. You don't have to make every mistake. So those are my three. Great. Is there anything else you would like to leave my audience with? 
No, I'd like to say if you would like to know more about licensing that business model, please go to my YouTube channel called InventRight TV. And we have over 650 videos on licensing ideas. I think you'll enjoy it and everything's absolutely free. Great. Well, I'd like to thank you for being here today, Stephen. And I'm going to have a link to all of what you just talked about in the show notes of today's episode. So my listeners can find your book, find your YouTube, find your website, and any contact information. Maybe they want some coaching, and I'll direct them your way. I appreciate it very much, Ronald. Thank you for having me today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And join me next week for Digital Money, Taking the Cryptics Out of Crypto. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at www.gonefishingpodcast.com. And remember, life is an ocean, a strong boat, your foundation. If you want to succeed, identify a harbor, unfurl your sails, sail outside the drift currents of social expectation, and let's go fishing. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gone Fishing Podcast. Connect with us at www.waypointmastermind.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive our free tools and resources. This podcast has been brought to you by Waypoint Mastermind. Personal growth and support through collaboration with a community of like-minded achievers. See you in the next episode.